0: Welcome to In The Know, a podcast hosted by Caitlin Dega and Samara Dalmenico, where we take a deep dive into the boring stuff to bridge the gap between the law and young people. In other words, giving you your legally blonde moment. I object.
1: Hello and welcome to today's episode. This week, we will be discussing all the illegal things you've probably done on a night out from buying drinks for your underage friend, peeing in the street, or just being a little bit
0: too intoxicated on the tram. But first, Caitlin, how was your week? My week was really good. It hasn't been super eventful, but in a nice way. I guess the most exciting thing that's going to happen in my week is actually happening tonight. So we're recording this on Sunday because we always do it last minute, no matter how hard we try (laughs) to plan it to be earlier. And I have um, tryouts for my cheerleading team tonight for the new season. So I'm super excited about that. Um, And then the other thing that I guess I'm maybe relieved about This week is that I have been getting so many messages and so many DMs this week about doing this stupid drunk crimes episode. (laughs) So thank God we are finally doing it and I will never have to go through those DMs again. Samara, your week, how is it? You're in Albury right now recording this remotely. Yes, we
1: are, which is a challenge with technology, but I just feel like I've been really busy this week and I have done absolutely nothing. So yeah, just a bit, a bit of one of those weeks, but I can't believe that it's December and I cannot believe that it's almost Christmas and I'm really, really excited. We put up our tree, we got a, a real tree this year and my whole house smells like beautiful, beautiful nature, so I'm really happy about that, but we actually recorded most of this episode together, but we're just recording the intro and the outro separately, so that's a bit weird. An editor's nightmare to have to put it together too. Yeah, I'm not looking forward for poor future me to have to do it. Before we move on, I just quickly wanted to talk. I texted you about this last night and I just quickly mm. wanted to talk about COVID here for a moment. because Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. Yes. As I said, we are recording this on Sunday morning, so there hasn't been the announcement yet, but there are whispers that the state of emergency in Victoria is going
0: to be extended. Oh my God.
1: Yeah. So I was looking through Channel 7's Facebook page comments. Classic. I don't know why I decided to spend time doing that last night, but they were rife with misinformation. So I texted you and I said, we have to set it straight. It's our job, essentially. Oh, wow. Big proclamation there. <laughs> so if you haven't listened to our COVID episode, it was actually our very first one. Our pilot episode. Ooh. Yeah, our pilot. We talk about it in length, about what the state of emergency means and why it isn't this huge, big panic thing that the Channel 7 Facebook page makes it out to be. So if you haven't listened to that one, go and listen. But in a nutshell, the state of emergency essentially gives the government the power to take the steps that they need to, to stop the spread of COVID. So that's the most important part Extending it does not mean we are back in lockdown and it does not mean that the government intends to put us back into lockdown. It just means that they're keeping in place this really important protective tool that allows them to put in place measures like isolating after you get a test or when you feel unwell, density limits and
0: fines for people who are doing the wrong thing. And masks, but maybe when you listen to this episode, you will hopefully know post-announcement that that's no longer a thing. Maybe we're being optimistic, but yeah, that's the general vibe. Yeah, well, there has been whispers actually
1: that they are going to take away more of our mask freedom. So I'm in New South Wales at the moment, so I'm living my best life, no
0: masks. Doing what I want. It's great. <laughs> Can't relate. But, anyways, we're not in the business of speculating. We're in the business of fact. So, without further ado, let's get into this week's episode. Gorgeous segue. I love that. Fun fact The octopus has three hearts. Okay, so after a very contentious fun facts from last week where we were essentially 50 50 the whole way through the insta poll. We are going into this week's fun facts with, for me, I think I'm coming in quite strong. And to come in strong, I'm going to start by setting the scene. Oh, goodness. Here we go. You're in an early 2000s rom-com. Your idol, be it Zac Efron, Robert Patterson, <laughs> who, who else are dreamboats from your childhood? Liam's Hemsworth. <laughs> Liam Hemsworth. Liam Hemsworth? Liam Hemsworth. Yeah. Liam Hemsworth, Channing Tatum, Imagine Him. He's the man of your dreams, the one that got away. He's standing on the aisle. He's getting married to some random muddle. Some foreigner who you know, they don't really have love. It's just for show. They're standing in the aisle. They're getting married in South Australia. I think that probably you were the best friend who didn't realise your feelings until this very moment. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. T- the intensity rises. You have a heart to heart with your mom, and you realise you have to travel across the country. You get on a private jet because <laughs> it's a movie. That's what we do. You're there. You open the doors, but instead of going in to say, "I object to this marriage," and what do you even say? Is is that what you say? I object. I think so. I object. Before you can even enter the doors, the police have dragged you away and you've been in prison for two years. And why, you may ask, is because under the Summary Offences Act 1953 in South Australia, Section 7, Capital A, a person who intentionally obstructs or disturbs a wedding is guilty of an offence with a maximum penalty of $10,000 or two years in prison. There's my fun fact.
1: That's a lot for a very, very small action. Mm. My fun fact. I don't think really needs all of the fanfare. because oh, It stands on its own. <laughs> it stands on its own. It is about everyone's favourite vegetable, potato. Surely tomatoes. Ooh. Wait, that's a fruit, actually. Tomato is disgusting. No. <laughs> okay. Anyway, in Western Australia, it is illegal to have 50 kilos or more of potatoes. Illegal to have 50 kilos of potatoes. Breaking this law is punishable by a fine of $2,000 for first-time offenders or $5,000 for continuous offenders because you just always have 50 kilos of potatoes. This law came about in the 1946 Marketing of Potatoes Act and prohibits anyone from selling or purchasing 50 kilos or more of potatoes unless you're a member of the potato corporation. Whatever that is, I like chips, sign me up
0: to get fined $5,000 for continuing. Why do you need 50 kilos of potatoes? That's my question. No, to be a member of the potato corporation. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, let me know how you go with that. Celebration candy bars. Before we get into this week's boring stuff, Samara, surely you're two years on a university college. You have to have an illegal drunk story.
1: Surely. I have so, so, so many. I am so
0: sorry, Mum. So many. But also you you need to get admitted to be a lawyer quite shortly, so be careful what you say here.
1: We'll just talk in very general terms. I used to have a tree that I used to pee at (laughs) on my university campus on my way to the tram to go to Stolly's every single week. That was our favourite pub. So, yes, I absolutely...
0: A favourite tree. A favourite tree. I used to just pee behind it on my way. That's gross. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> fun fact for everyone else i have never peed in public not once yeah even when you're busting yeah not once before we get into the
1: episode just a quick disclaimer in the no podcast and affiliated content are for information purposes only and should not be construed as legal advice on any matter for the full disclaimer and further information please refer to our show notes
0: that into <laughs> the boring Star! Yay! okay so to start off this episode how about you tell me how different crimes are made up like are there levels of seriousness how do we know murder is worse than peeing in a the pain? street Or yeah peeing in the street so we have released a
1: bite-sized bit this week that explores exactly that question so go check it out but Very briefly, for the purpose of this episode, there are two broad categories of crime. One, summary offences, or the less serious ones, or
0: indictable offences, which are the more serious ones. Gotcha. So today, we'll be discussing the summary offences you can be slapped with on a night out. We'll be focusing on alcohol-related offences, how you can be charged with one, and their penalties. And... All of these offences are covered under the Summary Offences Act, 1966, Victoria.
1: Okay, so now that's out of the way. Is
0: being drunk a crime? So this is one of those times when the law really irks me because I really wish I could just simply say to you, well, if you're 18 or over, you can buy and consume alcohol. So no, surely being drunk cannot be considered a crime then. But just like everything to do with the law, Samara, it is not that black and white.
1: It makes me laugh when people try to tell me that law is very yes or no, and it's not. There's
0: so much gray area. Literally how it's called black letter law. Yeah. Like it's not black letter. It's so wrong. Anyway, so basically what I'm trying to say here is being drunk and doing certain things in some instances and in some places is illegal.
1: This is not legal.
0: All right. So we will start off with being
1: drunk in a public place. If the police think that you're drunk in a public place, they may arrest you and place you in custody. They can sometimes do this if they think that it's necessary for your safety. So I guess like a wellness check.
0: Mm. Yes, sir.
1: If you get pinged by the cops for being drunk in a public place, you risk the penalty of a maximum of eight penalty units, which is $1,321.70. Imagine how many vodka raspberries you could get for that. Also, imagine how many people on schoolies would get pinged by that. Surely there's a little bit of
0: wax around schoolies. Surely, but they would hand them out. But then again, it is all at the cops' discretion. So that's why we're using "may" a lot. You may hear. Yeah, exactly,
1: exactly. And as we've said in the COVID episode, if you have listened to that one, or if you want to jump back and read it, jump back and listen to it. Just because there's a maximum of eight penalty units doesn't necessarily mean that the fine will be that much. It just means that the law allows the fine to be that much. So I guess it's kind of like a cap. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 24 hour champagne diet
0: and then the next one we're looking at if we're moving up the food chain is drunk and disorderly in a public place so disorderly behavior is acting in a way that disturbs the peace or interferes with the comfort of people who may be nearby you can be charged by the cops in this instance if they think your behavior is intended to disturb even if no one is around to be disturbed by it interesting this one cops a higher penalty of a maximum of 20 penalty units or three days in prison. Oof. But then for your second or subsequent offences, the penalty units remain the same, so that 20 penalty units, but you could cop up to one month in prison for it. And by the way, 20 penalty units, that's $3,304.04. It's um, a pretty big penalty for being drunk and disorderly. Even if no one's around. So literally a copper could come up and be like, hey, you're yelling in a paddock. This could disturb someone (laughs) who's nearby. You're in prison for a month because I saw you do it last week too. Like, I mean, it wouldn't exactly work like that. But in theory. It could, right?
1: Oh, no. And then we move on to drunk and behaving in a riotous or disorderly manner. Mm. Riotous behavior is behavior that frightens a member of the public and makes them fear that some breach of the peace is likely to occur. Disorderly has the same meaning that we discussed just before, but the police may charge you with this more serious offense if they think that your disorderly behavior is severe. Wow. For this one, being drunk and behaving in a riotous or disorderly manner, the max penalty units is only 10, which is interesting because it's less than the other one, Mm. But you can be imprisoned for up to two months. Just for reference, 10 penalty units is $1,652.20.
0: Oh my God. Then there's a bunch of other alcohol-related violent offences in public places. So in these instances, the police will have the power to ban troublemakers Mm -hmm. from some places where alcohol-related violence has happened before. So, you could be banned for up to 24 hours if the police suspect you've committed one of these offenses. So, that violent or disorderly behavior, sexual offenses, destruction to property, or carrying a prohibited weapon near a licensed place. And just for reference, a licensed place is usually somewhere like a restaurant, a bar, or a club, somewhere where they have a license to serve alcohol. The Stolberg Hotel, where I used to go every single Tuesday. Tuesday. That's so unish. <laughs> So if you're found guilty for one of these sorts of offences, the court can order you stay away from this designated area or hotspot for up to 12 months. Now, for most of us, I'd hope,
1: our drunken antics have not landed us in trouble with the police to this degree, but I think that we would be lying to ourselves (laughs) if we didn't all know someone who has been kicked out. I've never been kicked out, actually.
0: Neither have I. I've had friends being kicked out. I took a fresh 18 year old out to a bar on Chapel Street. If you're listening to this podcast, you know who I'm talking about. <laughs> and a big group of girls. We were there for all of 20 minutes before we were kicked out because she was just doing a little too much in there. Yeah. I
1: once went home with a random girl because she got kicked out and couldn't find her friends. So me and my roommate took her home like, and put her to bed because it was during O-Week and we were less drunk than her. Good for you. Yeah. Good Samaritan move there. Yeah, I have her on Facebook to this day. She just pops up randomly. I'm like, hey, I hope you're doing
0: okay. I <laughs> <laughs> hope you're not drunk in an alley somewhere with no friends again. <laughs> yeah,
1: lucky we found her. Anyway, not the point of this little tangent. We all know someone who has been kicked out or barred or banned from a bar or a club. So we're going to talk about barring orders. And this follows the same kind of idea as those bans in public places that Caitlin just talked about. But barring orders deal with licensed places and can be issued by the police, the license holder, or an employee. Okay. These are issued if you are drunk, violent, or arguing, and someone in authority believes that there is a serious or immediate risk that someone will be harmed because you have been drinking.
0: I rabbit harping home turn this water into room then if you get barred you cannot go closer than 20 meters to the place that you were barred from you can be barred for up to 1 month if it's your first time ever but if you've been barred more than once this can be up to 6 months
1: then in these instances the offense element comes in if you breach The barring order by refusing to leave the place or by going closer than that 20 metres to it during the time that you've been barred. And
0: doing this means that you're at risk of getting fined.
1: Whoa, easy does it.
0: Now, fines. In the instance of public drunkenness and breaching of a barring order, these are usually issued in the form of an on the spot fine by police. These fines can be issued on the spot or posted to people aged 18 or over for both these offences. But also other common offences that often come up on a rowdy night out, like indecent language, offensive behaviour, consuming or supplying liquor on unlicensed premises, or failure to leave a licensed premises when requested, are also subject to these on-the-spot fines if found out by police. Mm -hmm. Two shots of vodka...
1: We still do not have any sponsors, so instead of embarrassing bloopers this week, we are going to give you some funny summary offences that have been in the news not very recently in the past five years,
0: but summary offences all the same. So before we get into this, quick question for you guys. So there's this thing called a motorised esky. Guess how many people you think in the last five years have been charged for drunk driving on a motorised esky. Remember, we're in Australia here. Drum roll, please. Can anybody guess? Well, dear listener, just from our
1: very, very quick Google search, we found five. Five people who have been riding a motorised esky and have got pulled over by the police on their esky...
0: (laughs) For drunk driving. For
1: drunk driving. They probably were laughing at themselves, thinking that they were set on their esky. Pull out a beer on the (laughs) way.
0: So Australian. Yeah. What's
1: more Australian than that? (laughs) Literally. People have also been fined or found guilty of drunk driving on a bike, Mm -hmm. a horse, and a ride on lawnmower. Pretty strange. Wow. We also found a case of a Queensland man who had been found in his driveway in his car and was breath-tested and
0: charged with drink driving. Unfortunate for him. He, thought, he must have thought he was so smart, got all the way home. And then at the last, what do they call it, the 11th hour, mm-hmm. the police came in and they got him. Gotcha. <laughs>
1: well, he actually did say to the police officers, and I quote, I'm in my driveway, you can't get me. Little did he know, they can. Okay, back to the regularly scheduled program. We have touched on being arrested. What power do the police have if they arrest you?
0: So this is a whole nother area that we'll deal with at a later time in yeah, terms, we'll terms of what the police can and can't do, what you have to tell them and things like that. But for the purposes of alcohol-related offences, usually if you're arrested, you'll be taken into custody at a police station and often only kept there until the police think you're sober enough to leave, which is approximately four hours in most instances. Okay, 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 okay. That's all good and well,
1: but I went too hard at Pre's, and we have all been there. We know <laughs> we've all been there, except for apparently you. But no, no, mm. I,
0: I got really drunk at my 21st, and before speeches or a cake, I was passed out in my car. Yeah, are My 18th. Yeah, my 21st, I didn't touch alcohol because I was too scared to do it. (laughs) Anyway,
1: too hard at pre's. The line is too long at the club. Can I just pop into an alleyway, drop my dax and have a pee?
0: Negatory. It is against the law to urinate in public and you could be fined if you're caught by the poly. Poly. The police. So that's tree you have at uh, your undisclosed uni campus location. Probably not too legal. Well, it's been more than a year, so... It's true. They can only, fun fact, summary offences. If you listen to our bite-sized bit, you already know this. But you can only be charged within a year from the date of the offence occurring. So lucky you're old now. So all those offences <laughs> you can't be charged with.
1: It also means that I get a wicked hangover. So I probably don't get as drunk as those days.
0: Okay. We've done a lot of tangents this episode. Sorry, everyone. Next scenario. We're getting comfortable. (laughs) Yeah, clearly. (laughs) I sell my old license to my cousin's sister's boyfriend's mate. Is it illegal? Well,
1: I think common sense. We all already know the answer to this one. So say it with me. Yes. Yes. It is really, really, really illegal. So we'll break it up. First, your cousin's sister's boyfriend's mate. It's an offence for them to pretend that they're over 18 and buy alcohol or enter a licensed place where sells alcohol. You would know that if you did your RSA actually. Secondly, for you, altering an ID card to make it look like you're 18 or older or giving it to someone else or giving someone else a fake ID is against the law. And just to make it absolutely clear, it is also illegal to let someone else use your ID. So old ID or new
0: ID, you'll still be breaking the law. And in this instance, you could be issued an on the spot fine, or you could be locked up in custody, like be arrested. And that money that you spent hours and hours working hard away at your local terrible job to be able to buy that couple of cruises go straight to waste because the police will take that alcohol right off your hands. Okay.
1: Well, what if I just buy my cousin's sister's boyfriend's mate a six pack
0: then? So there's actually a whole bunch of rumours and technicalities that people often throw around with the whole buying or giving alcohol to a minor in different settings. So let's just expand this question a little broader and cover all of those. Firstly, the classic example that you have just given, short answer, no, you cannot buy them a six pack. You can't buy them vodka. You can't buy them anything. You will be fined if the police find out. But in some instances, Samara, you actually can drink underage. So... To set the scene for this instance where you can drink underage, you're out at your first big paddock party with all the cool kids at school. It's BYO and you tell your mum that the parents will be home. You then take the daring move and ask her to sign a consent form so you can have two cruises. Mum says yes. Wild. Does that mean we're allowed to drink? Well, yes and no. So
1: this isn't a super straightforward answer. It's the grey area that we keep banging on about. In essence, yes, if your parents provide the appropriate consent, you can drink underage under the supervision of an authorized adult, aka the person your parents gave their consent to. The relevant legislation is pretty wordy, but there are a few super important takeaways. Firstly, the adult must, must, must be able to demonstrate responsible supervision of the supply of alcohol, taking into account factors such as the age of the underager, the quantity and type of alcohol given to the underager, and whether or not they're intoxicated. So with that all in mind, Caitlin,
0: paddock party, yes or no? Well, if your paddock party is or anything like mine, Samara, I think it's a hard no on this end.
1: Yeah, they get pretty wild, don't they? So schoolies! We went to the Gold Coast, went absolutely crazy, and got ourselves a fine for public drunkenness, hanging in the street, and barred from
0: sinners. What will we do? That's that's the club, right? We're talking about. I didn't go to schoolies on the Gold Coast, so neither did I, but everyone knows sinners. Okay, clearly I'm not in the know. Hey! Hey!
1: That was good. <laughs> okay.
0: So, well, firstly, it really sucks for us because who actually cops a fine for public drunkenness during schoolies? That's rough. rough. But this goes back to what we said before. If you're arrested and taken into custody, it'll likely be that four long hours of waiting with your new policemates to sober up. Mm -hmm. And then you'll likely be let go with that lovely public drunkenness fine we mentioned earlier. So you'll be out of pocket up to $1,321.76, my friend. I mean, that buys, what, a drink on the Gold Coast? (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) Now, to address the barring part of that one, I'm assuming if you're a true schoolie, you're a fresh 18. So I'm hoping you haven't already found time to get yourself smashed and barred from this same club earlier. So as it's your first offence, that's likely up to a month of not being allowed to enter that club, specifically, actually, not being allowed to get within 20 metres of it. So you'll be suffering some insane levels of FOMO Mm -hmm. for the rest of your schoolies week. And also, this one does carry that on-the-spot fine, so you will be down a fair few dollars. Yeah, ouch. So
1: wrapping up this entire episode with the too-long-didn't-read, just don't be the dumbest, most rowdy person out there and you'll probably be just fine. And just as always, to double down on our disclaimer, we absolutely, absolutely do not intend any of this information to be construed as advice. If you're having an issue, please see a lawyer and do not use this podcast if you're 17 years old and begging your parents for consent. It just doesn't work.
0: Also, our answer to your parents would be no. Exactly. Okay. (laughs) no doubt no doubt no doubt no doubt now
1: i know we just did the too long didn't read and so you probably think that you're free for our voices for another week but before gross (laughs) yeah we're back before we wrap up this episode for this week we want to talk a little bit about
0: law reform
1: it induces terror in the eyes. Terror,
0: really terror. Yes,
1: I would say terror.
0: God, it just makes me (laughs) yawn.
1: Okay, sorry, continue. It can be a little bit boring, but we're gonna slide quickly through it and I think it's actually quite interesting. We're gonna talk about the origins of public drunkenness and the current reform that is underway. Caitlin, take it away.
0: So... Public drunkenness laws can be traced back originally to the English Parliament of 1606, so the 15th century. Yeah, really long time ago. Yeah. When a law was first passed, criminalising and, Samara, you're going to have to read out the quote for this one. Oppressing the odious and loathsome sin of
1: drunkenness.
0: That was uh, an attempt at Hermione Granger's voice because apparently this sounds very similar to something she would say. It's the word loathsome. She's such an icon. We'll put it in a sound effect. You,
1: you foul, loathsome, evil little cockroach!
0: the laws in Victoria around public drunkenness have been basically unchanged since 1966. So that's a huge amount of time to pass and a huge amount of societal changes to occur, right? Yeah, isn't it? And this is where it does, in fact, get interesting and, like we seem to always fall into, kind of embarrassing for our government and lawmakers Mm. because the Royal Commission into Aboriginal Deaths in Custody which is a relatively well-known Royal Commission, I would say, that happened in 1991, made the recommendation to abolish offences surrounding public drunkenness. So that would mean that basically this entire episode wouldn't exist if that had been taken into account.
1: I mean, it might exist, but in a very, very different way. We'd be talking Mm. about absolutely And a different different sort of development.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And... Basically, the only reason we're talking about it in this criminal sense still is because we're Victorians and Victoria is one of two states aligned with Queensland that are the only jurisdictions who did not adopt that recommendation – and that was from 29 years ago. So this Royal Commission and the change in all the other states and territories laws occurred before both of us were born, Samara
1: Really puts it in perspective when you put it in that way. So this wasn't the first time that there have been calls to abolish public drunkenness either. In 1989, so back in the 80s, the former Law Reform Commission of Victoria was tasked with reviewing the appropriateness of these laws and found to quote, no support for continued reliance on the criminal law as a means of dealing with the problem of public drunkenness. The commission concluded unilaterally that public drunkenness should be decriminalized, which, as we said before, was endorsed by the Royal Commission into Aboriginal deaths in custody in 1991, and then again in an inquiry to reduce harmful alcohol consumption in 2006. Let's just pause here. Concluded unilaterally is a very
0: strong language to use. So you think it would just happen then, right? Like that's a pretty straightforward, no need for interpretation statement that like it needs to be done.
1: And keep in mind that this is Victorian, a Victorian commission here. It's not a national commission like the inquiries. It's Victorian specific. So no
0: excuses then, right? That it doesn't fit for our particular society. Mm. We're about to go into 2020 and the current status of this, but just as a quick warning before we get into it, that Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people are advised that the following few minutes contains names and descriptions of people who have died.
1: So in 2017... There was substantial outcry following the death of Tanya Day, a Yorta Yorta woman who was arrested for public drunkenness while asleep on a V-Line train on 7 December 2017. This started this current wave of rumblings. She was taken into custody where she fell and hit her head a number of times. The reports that I read suggested no less than five times. She sustained a brain injury and hemorrhagic bleeding and was taken to hospital. She died on 22 December
0: 2017. So just sorry to interrupt your train of thought here, Samara, but just to put this in perspective, we just talked about literally a matter of minutes ago that these public drunkenness offences are in place with the aim of ensuring the safety mm. of the public and the person who is drunk, right? Like, the whole premise of the police mm-hmm. taking in and using their discretion to take someone into custody is for taking them into a custody for a couple of hours, making sure they're sober enough to be let free so they can't injure themselves or others. So literally the police's entire job in these instances and in these crimes is to make sure this person remains mm. safe. Like, that's it. That's the entire... Yeah. That's everything, right? It's not for a punishment. It's not for anything. It's literally for the safety of the individual, first and foremost, and almost entirely. So now we're talking about a situation after we have had decades of discussions, not even discussions, very clear directives almost to abolish these laws because they're not serving their intended purpose. And we're watching that happen right here. This poor mm. Yorta Yorta woman hit her head, how many times was it? Five times.
1: Yep. Yeah. No less than five.
0: In the custody of these police officers or our police system. So not only Mm. are... How is she being kept safe? So the entire intention of the law has gone completely amok. Mm. Mm. I think there's a few things to unpack here. I
1: mean, firstly... We were talking a lot about disorderly conduct throughout Mm. this whole episode and I didn't read the whole inquest. I only read a couple of reports about it, but each report said that she was asleep on the V-line train. And I just, I think that it's so sad that she was taken into custody supposedly to keep her safe when she was asleep on a train. When you actually think about it, it's super bizarre that we take really, really vulnerable people who are so intoxicated they
0: cannot control their bodies and stick them in a cell. It doesn't make sense. And also on that note, police are not made to mm-hmm. be carers. Yes, absolutely. Their role is not to be care. I mean, I guess if you want to talk about it in the broader, kind of omnipresent <laughs> sense, they are carers, yeah. you know, protecting the law and the yeah. society. But in essence, they don't have the skills or expertise, and it is not their job to look after people who are in unsafe yes. situations that they have put themselves yes. in. For example, like, they may be the emergency response team to, I don't know, like a suicide attempt. Mm for instance, but they're not the ones who are then tasked with the supervision and care of that individual to help with a therapeutic response. yeah. You know, so why then are we, after we have been told as a community over and over again by genuine experts that the right approach is a health approach, are we still taking a criminal justice approach Mm. to this? And that's, I guess, our question, Mm. right? That we are still kind of here with no genuine or reasonable answer. Yeah,
1: and I think if you look at it from a completely pragmatic point, if you're Mm. a police officer and you had someone in a cell who was drunk and then you had a murderer and seven call-outs for public order responses that you had to send officers out to, where are you going to put your attention? Are you going to put it to the person who's sleeping off their hangover in the cell or are you going to put it to everything else? They, They don't have... The, the tools to be able to effectively handle this. And this is what, you know, these Nor should that be what saying. they're doing though, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think everything that we read has put a real emphasis on the fact that public drunkenness and the issues surrounding it is a health response. It's a health response. Mm-hmm. It's not a criminal response.
0: Therapeutic, culturally safe pathways is that kind of quote that keeps getting thrown around in in relation to this stuff.
1: anyway, Back to Tanya Day. In August 2019, so quite some time after her death, there was an inquest into her death. And four days before this inquest, the Victorian government announced their plan to abolish the crime of public drunkenness and in its place promised a health-based approach that will quote, promote therapeutic and culturally safe pathways to assist alcohol affected people in public places. That's what their statement said. Now, the state Attorney General Jill Hennessy said that she would write.
0: Constant theme in our recent episodes, right?
1: Yes. This, I think, this is three for three. Mm-hmm. Um, she said that she would write to the Victorian Coroner. This is at the time Caitlin English, who was due to oversee this three-week inquest into Miss Day's death, to advise her that the government had committed in principle to abolishing the crime. Just for oh, a bit of,
0: in principle. In principle. Mm-hmm. That's it, ridiculous. It, it feels a bit wishy-washy. After- after all these inquiries, after mm-hmm. all these formal assessments to say in principle, what mm-hmm. a ridiculous sidestep as our lawmakers.
1: Yep. Now before... That makes me really mad. Yeah, Sorry, Before continue. you get too mad, just as a bit of context... English the coroner had warned the government in December of the previous year that she so 2018 in- right so 2018 yeah that she intended to recommend the law be abolished and of course day's family had been advocating for this change since December 2017 so We've got here a situation where the coroner who's overseeing the inquest has said, hey, I'm going to abolish this law. The family has said, this law isn't good. We've got tons of evidence, tons of inquiries before that say, hey, this law, probably not the best
0: response. Probably not the best. They're not even saying that. They're literally saying as a collective group, this is the wrong approach. It's literally, it's it's like hardly a recommendation and more of almost a direction at this point.
1: Yeah, yeah. And so then the government comes out four days before this inquest and says, we're going to commit on principle to abolish the law. It just feels a bit weak. It feels a bit
0: thinly veiled. I mean, that's our interpretation of it anyway.
1: Of course, of course. So I guess we're talking here and we're saying that, you know, this big foundational event happened in 2017 that is driving this change, which is obviously the death of um, Tanya Day, which was horrible that it, it had to happen to spark this real change. But you may ask why we're here at the tail end of 2020 with absolutely no change or really any further commitment from the government. And I mean, while I was doing the research, that was really my question as well. And I was gearing up to be really, really scathing towards the government as to why they hadn't done anything when this inquest ended in 2019 and they made the promise in 2019 that they were going to abolish the law. In principle. In principle. And I think the reason why it's taken this whole year is probably a little bit multifaceted. So obviously we have COVID and Parliament shut down for a time and we're seeing uh, quite a influx of new legislation being brought to the table now that they're open. The law also has the tendency to move horrifically, horrifically slow. I mean, ironically, it's constantly changing and it's basically impossible to keep up with all of the new laws that are brought in basically on a monthly basis, but the actual reform process takes years and years and years. And thirdly, and probably most importantly, and I know that you'll have stuff to say about this, the government commissioned an expert reference group to advise the government on the decriminalization of public drunkenness and the development of an alternate health-based response. So that report took nearly a year to put together and was just recently released. And
0: I think here, and what I was going to say about this, is I would take us back to our episode three weeks ago now, the hashtag let us Mm. speak episode, where we talk about a situation where an issue is really, really prevalent in the news and so quick steps or from a public, I guess, the public perspective, really quick steps are taken by the government to put some laws in place to respond to this issue without what seems to be the real thorough, thought-out and, like, unfortunately, really time-consuming process of ensuring we get these expert reports done and this, mm. these expert recommendations done so we have a really accurate and sound law in place. Yeah. So I guess if you go back and listen to that episode or you have, think about how wrong those gag laws ended up being. Mm. And then when more research was done, they could be adapted and amended to have a really meaningful effect that did fulfill the government's initial aim with the gag laws, mm. but also had done the proper research to make sure they were laws that addressed the public concern and response effectively as well. So I think that's something that we need to remember here, that good law reform does unfortunately take time, and the time is valuable and worthwhile time to have taken to make sure the response is as correct as possible. I guess the question here, though, is
1: why wasn't the time taken in 1989 when the Victorian Commission came out? Why wasn't it taken in 1991, Mm -hmm. 2006, 2017? Exactly. So back to this report done by the ERG, that's the Expert Reference Group. They released this report in August 2020 and it was titled Seeing the Clear Light of Day. And that's a nod, quite a poetic nod actually, to Tanya Day Mm. and... I guess, the cost to get here. This report included 86 recommendations and detailed advice on the possible design of the health model. Big emphasis on health model there. So after that report was commissioned and released, the government then released their response to this report on the 28th of November. They have in this response fully committed to decriminalizing public drunkenness and implementing a public health model to ensure that those who are intoxicated in public can access the health care and support they need and implementing the framework for reform provided by the erg's report Yay! those words access the health care support they need it's promising
0: mm, it is promising and i think that Full commitment rather than an in-principle commitment. I know we keep going on about the in-principle thing, but Mm. I just think an emphasis really needs to be made here that in-principle is no promise. In-principle could mean anything. And I think
1: a very deliberate word choice.
0: Oh, absolutely. I think the one thing that I have learned in all of my studies in the law, and to be (laughs) fair, they haven't been that long, is that words are so important and so deliberate. But as we keep going on about the slow-moving nature of the law... (laughs) (laughs) The anticipated effect of the legislative repeal of public drunkenness will not come into effect until 2022.
1: So quite a long time, but I guess if you take into account this snippet that we're about to read out from the release, it makes sense why it's going to take so long.
0: And again, as we keep saying, it doesn't excuse and we're not here to give excuses for why or even attempt to understand why this process didn't happen in Mm -hmm. 1991 or Mm -hmm. 2006 or Mm any time prior to 2020 where it's literally so overdue. But I guess this does still give you an insight of why in any instance, it's never a fast moving process.
1: So the ERG has recommended a 24 month implementation for the public health model.
0: And while the government acknowledges that decriminalisation of public drunkenness is long overdue in Victoria, the understatement of the year, Mm -hmm. this implementation period will be critical to creating a well-designed, collaborative and culturally safe system that fully delivers on the ERG's vision.
1: A 24-month implementation period will allow the government to, one, establish trial sites for the health model in specific areas in Victoria to help them roll out the best statewide model before decriminalisation takes effect, and two, work closely with the Aboriginal community, first responders and the broader community to enact a cultural shift in our response to public
0: intoxication. Super promising. I yeah. really, I, I feel good about this approach idea.
1: Mm-hmm. And I think taking there's a there's a huge difference between taking 29 years to even address the issue and taking two years to really do it right.
0: Mm hmm. Gosh, yes. Mm-hmm. And I guess another thing that makes me feel more confident and good about this kind of reform actually happening and happening. Yeah correctly, is that our government's actually allocated an initial $16 in the 2020-2021 state budget to commence implementing these complex reforms, making sure these trial sites are established throughout the state, where it can be trialed and refined. And so this work with the Aboriginal community, first responders and broader community with that cultural shift response to public intoxication can really occur. So I think any monetary commitment to Mm. an issue is one that we can feel, I guess, reassured. more confident. Yeah, yeah, reassured, that's the right word, about it actually occurring.
1: Yay! So now you are in the no. Thank you very much for listening. All sources from today's episode are in the show notes. If this has brought something up for you, please, please get in touch with the relevant bodies, a lawyer, legal aid. If you feel distressed from our discussion regarding Tanya Day, we will put in the show notes some organisations that you can reach out to for support. Please feel free to ask us if you have a difference in opinion to our discussion on law reform. We are also
0: always happy to chat about it. Or any insider views on why this process has taken so long? I'd be super interested to hear what other people think about that. We actually have some really I'm interesting so episodes excited. coming out, and I'm, I'm so excited so for next excited. week's episode. I'm not going to reveal I'm it so on the pod excited. this week, but yes. one, none of you will guess it, and two, it is in. I, mm. I have never. I'm so excited to research it. So left to feel seriously. If someone can guess it, I will give them a hundred bucks. Genuinely, you will not be able to guess it.
1: Okay done.
0: Done.
1: We are a tiny independent podcast recording this this episode actually joint between our bedrooms and <laughs> remotely in our bedrooms. Your support, <laughs> your support in getting our names out there is what's gonna keep us going. Please, please, please share us on your story. Tell your friends about us, subscribe on your favorite pod streaming service, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, and follow us on Instagram at in the know underscore podcast. See you next week. Bye.